As Henrik said earlier in our service when we began together, it's not quite Christmas yet. Every family has our own traditions. Uh, every person has their own traditions. You say, well, now it's Christmas when we do this or, or try that or unwrap this, then it feels like it. And, and one of our traditions that we have here at the church is that it's not Christmas until we light that candle in the middle. And we're going to do that tonight uh, at our evening service, our candlelight service. And again, you're all invited to that. But this morning, we are looking at the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the theme of that Sunday is peace, how God's peace comes into this world through Jesus, his Son. And so as we begin, I want to invite you to consider a definition of peace. Because when our world talks about peace, we often think about an absence of conflict or an end to war. And that seems hard enough, if we're honest. It seems unlikely and unrealistic to most of us, if not all of us, that wars really will cease, that there will be an end to conflict. And yet, the peace of God is about so much more than even an end to violence. So this morning, I want to consider a definition of peace as nearness to God and nearness to others. And part of what that encapsulates is an end of violence and an end of hostility, but it's a lot more than that as well. What would it mean for you to be near to God and near to others and happy about that, excited about that? As we, uh, before I share a few words and meditation this morning, I want to open up God's Word. We're going to read together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and the words will be on the screen behind me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made that has been made. We're coming back. I'm going to crack it open here, that way I won't stop again. There we go. Say what you want about analog, it never runs out of batteries. We'll start over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, or there came a man, who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, a new family. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full 
of grace and truth. So far, the reading of God's word. Just invite you to bow your heads and pray with me a moment. God, as we have read your word and opened it up, as we have prepared our hearts this Advent season for the word made flesh, God, speak your words of truth and hope and love and peace and joy to our hearts this morning and fill us with the living word made flesh that we might in hearing and in being filled to go out full to bless and love and serve those near and also those far. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In preparing for this message about peace, I noticed something interesting, an interesting paradox that seems to me always to be at work, that we want peace. And certainly in a worldly way, we will always say that we want peace. We want peace between nations. We want the war in Gaza to be over. We want the war in Ukraine to be over. That's not a surprise. We want peace even flourishing in our own nation. We want life in Canada to be good. We want Alberta and Albertans to be treated fairly in the context of Canada. We also want peace in our city. We want and hope for fair housing and good social programs. We want low crime. No surprise there either. There's even maybe, not maybe, there are in all our families, in all our communities, difficult people. And we might even have some suggestions for how we might help them be more peaceful or more peaceable people. But here's what struck me as I was preparing this message. That it's rare, or at least uncommon, to find someone who is dedicated to working for peace within his or her own heart. Put another way, we don't always stop and ask ourselves, what will I give or what will I work on to make peace possible? What will I give or what will I work on to make peace possible in my own heart, in my community, in my family, in my city, in my country, in our world? Again, for Christians, peace is about a whole lot more than just the absence of conflict. No war is a very good goal and a very important goal. But it's about as good as we could do as a secular society, as nations around the world, and we seem not even to be able to do that. A goal of no war and an absence of conflict is well worth aiming for. But the peace of God is about a whole lot more than that. Peace of God is about drawing near to God. And if more than one person, if many people want to draw near to God, then by coming near to God, we're also by necessity coming near or nearer to one another. And herein lies the problem of peace. It's possible, as we are today, it's possible to be physically very close to any number of people and yet in our hearts to be distant and far from one another. The initial love that brings your family together sometimes wanes or fades. Maybe not even because of some major conflict. Maybe we just and each get busy with our own lives. 
emotional distance, the distance between hearts creeps in unintentionally. Doors get shut to bedrooms even as hearts are closed to one another. It's possible to exist very physically near to others in the same space, maybe even in the same bed, but still feel very far from one another. We might even talk to others about someone else rather than going directly and humbly to the person that we feel far from. Sometimes the furthest distance is the journey to walk across the room, to humbly and with care share our hearts with someone else. Whether it's a distance that's created by neglect or or, uh, attention to other things, or a distance that's created after conflict, we are not the first people in the world to know that kind of distance. The Old Testament prophets describe Israel as God's bride whom he loves, God's wife. Israel is holy to the Lord, set apart for God only, and God is pictured often and regularly as a faithful husband who loves his wife. So God is grieved again and again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as his people look to other people and other gods and other ways for the fulfillment that only their husband can bring. In modern terms, Scripture from beginning to end tells a story of how God's wife cheats on him many, many times and places. Of course, when she's in trouble... God's people turn back to God. But otherwise, often that God's people pursue their own interests and turn away from Him. In human terms, again, if we saw a marriage like that, a spouse that only came back home when she or he needed something, but otherwise was busy with their own life, we can guess how that kind of relationship will end. What kind of marriage could survive a distance so great, so vast, even if we're all together in the same room? This picture of distance and peace as closeness, and the opposite of that as distance and conflict being the opposite of peace, we see this picture in the Old Testament uh, time and time again. Of course, the Old Testament does talk about distance as real, physical, geographical distance. Many of us know, just as well as the ancient Israelites did, that we can't fully be at peace in our own hearts when the person we love or the people we love are overseas, far away from us, or where they're in dangerous situations, when they're physically at danger or physically in danger or physically separated from us. Our hearts and our minds go with the people we care about most. And when they're far away, we can't feel fully settled. But likewise, in the Old Testament, distance between people and distance between God and people is sometimes a distance of the heart. In Isaiah 29, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based only on merely human rules that they have been taught. In other words, we can say and do the right things. We can give our tithes and offerings to God as we just did. We can memorize passages of Scripture. 
We can talk about and know God's characteristics. We can talk about and, and try to build a mosaic community. We can do it all. But if our hearts are not in it, if our hearts are far from God, if our hearts are far from one another, then we won't find peace. St. Augustine famously said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. How does God deal with this distance between his people? Well, that's what John 1 is all about. John 1 is building on a picture of the kind of peace that God offers. The peace that God offers in the Old Testament and the peace that God continues to offer today. God's dealing with distance, then as now, is always the same. God decides to live with and among his people. The Bible's picture of peace is always God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. It's just an English writing of a Hebrew word that means God with us. So again, the Israelites in the Old Testament built a tabernacle, a big tent for God to live in. And God's Spirit filled it, really. In the middle of thousands of tents and thousands of homes, there was one big and special tent where the wisest among all the Israelites believed that God really exists. God really lived. The 12 tribes of Israel each lived and gathered as their own clan, their own extended family, and circled around the tabernacle. And as they moved closer to God in worshiping Him, they also necessarily moved closer to one another. Not just in a physical way, when they went to the tabernacle, but also in an emotional way. It's not hard, I don't think, for us to imagine some bold young Jewish girl like the two bold young women we had this morning saying or asking, really, does God really live there? Does God really live in that tent? He did. One of the beautiful things about the stories of the Old Testament is that when God's people are taking over the land and all the other places that God is giving them, time and time again, they bump into Uh, sometimes literally, one walled city after another. They come to cities with high and thick walls that are meant to provide peace. They're meant to provide safety and security for the people who live inside and peace and protection from the dangerous people outside. They're meant to provide worldly peace. But we see in many stories in the Old Testament, including and maybe especially the story of Rahab, one of Jesus' ancestors. Inside cities with big walls, cities like Jericho, cities with all the modern luxuries that are supposed to lead to an end of conflict, that people were not at peace. That people were worried. People were afraid. People were looking over their shoulder and busy protecting their fragile walls. That could be covered or overcome with just one silver or just one red cord. And if you know the stories of the Old Testament, that you know when God led his people to all of these different cities with all of these different walls, 
God knocked down all the walls. And God doesn't knock down walls aimlessly. God didn't want his people to be afraid and weak. God didn't want his people to be hiding behind whatever their source of worldly peace was. God wanted his people to boldly depend on him. And he still does. God wants his people to come to him, to return freely to him, and to go out from his presence to the ends of the earth. More walls really means more distance. More barriers between people and between God. We tend not to build walls these days, not in an international warfare sense, because we've got planes and tanks and other things that can knock them down, but not even in our own homes either. You don't see a lot of walled properties in Calgary. But we do put up walls of our own making. We put walls in terms of the, how far we're willing to go in relationship with people. We put walls up in terms of our priorities, in terms of technology, in terms of where we put our time and energy and heart. We allow people to come a certain distance and no further. But Jesus came to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between all people, Scripture says, so that he himself and he alone would be our peace. From the Israelites in the wilderness on throughout history, God lives with and lives among his people. He's always drawing us closer to himself. He's always wooing us and winning us, trying to to draw us to himself. This is because God doesn't want only our bodies. God doesn't want only our time or our money. God wants every part of us. He wants our hearts, our innermost being, and everything else as well. God knows that even if people are stuck inside four walls together, their hearts may not change or soften. God knows that even when we gather together in a building like this one, there still might well be some great distance of heart, even if we're all physically close. Instead of building some walled city or some fortification and inviting just a few special people inside, John, the gospel writer, tells us that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Some of you may already know that the English translation here misses the original language's point, that the Word became flesh and tented or tabernacled among us. What John is saying here, using that kind of odd word, it doesn't mean that Jesus went camping with us, He's saying that Jesus is the new and better tabernacle. Jesus is the answer to that little girl's question that we imagined. Is God really there? Jesus is God's resounding and emphatic, yes, yes, I am there. Yes, I am with you. Yes, Jesus is God's peace. John tells us that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us because Jesus was a kind of human tent of God's presence. He was God with God's people. Thousands of years before Jesus, 
The tabernacle was God's response, his first response to distance. But still, physically and in our hearts, emotionally, we can still run away from a building, we could still run away from a tent. But in Jesus, God put on flesh and blood. The good news of God's peace, especially at Christmas, is that God's peace ran, grew legs and ran after us. That God is still with us and still pursuing his people with his peace today. Author and teacher George DeYoung writes that God is still in the business of tabernacling. Not in tents or buildings of stone, but instead of a temple, he's asking for a place in our hearts. The resounding message of God's word keeps resurfacing. God will not abandon his beloved. There may be a distance between us at times, us and one another, or us and God, but God will never be the one who walks away. God is still with us. God is with us when we gather together here and in this building and this place for worship. God is with us and with you when you go home tonight and have a special meal or spend time with family or friends tomorrow. God is with you when you go to the hospital and sit with the one you love. God is with you when your spouse is far from you or the person you care about most is sitting beside you, yet there's a great distance and gap between you. God is still with you when you play with your friends at school. God is still with you when you eventually return back to work in the coming days or weeks. In Jesus, God has come near. He's not limited by some specific building or particular place. He's not waiting for us to light the, the last candle and then come. God has entered into the middle of the everyday stuff of your life and my life. He has closed the gap between us and shown time and time again that he will not leave you alone. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you and, and myself by extension, how will you respond? Will you give your heart to him? Will you return his love and care? Will you experience his peace? We started the sermon with a picture of how we have lost our peace. Christians would say we've lost our peace because we have left God. If there's no peace in our hearts, there can be no peace among brothers and sisters, no peace in a city or province, no peace in a nation or between nations. And so violence and war, animosity and pain are always spreading out of the overflow of a tumultuous and sinful heart. But now that in Christ... God is with his people. The peace of Christ is spreading. Again, if there's, there's, there is peace in our hearts, God with us. God come near to his people, to Christians. There is peace in the new family that God is building in the church. It's not peace that is passive, that's just the absence of conflict. It's a peace that we work for, that we cultivate, that we cherish 
because of the gift and the work that it is. And there can be peace in our community, in our city. On and on, peace will grow because on and on, God's kingdom and God's family grows. There will always be injustice in our world. But the kingdom of God and the family of God is here. And the kingdom of God's peace is within you. God's peace is yours. And whomever you touch, if God's peace is in your heart, then through the Spirit's power, God's peace will touch that person as well. Not just an absence of conflict, not just an end to violence, but a closeness and a nearness that, regardless of our situation, brings peace and joy and hope and love. This is our prayer and God's promise when we turn to him. So let's do so again in prayer together. Please pray with me. God, as we come to you in prayer this morning, as we meditate even for a few minutes on your peace, a peace that is beyond our understanding, a peace that is more than just an end of war or conflict. It's more than nothing. As we sang earlier today, we long for your peace and we humbly ask that you would begin with us. As we begin to wind down our time together this morning, Lord, may you stir amazement in our hearts that you would choose even ordinary people like us to be agents of your peace, that you would give your Holy Spirit your new life, your new hope and love and joy and peace even to us, that we might experience it as we draw near to you and others and that we might even share it with those we love and with a world that you love. Cultivate us, in us, a sense of awe and wonder, Holy Spirit. Not because we are worthy of it, but in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen.